Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Oh yeah. Hello everyone. My name is Tom. I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your first time visiting, or maybe you're listening online for the first time, or listening to the radio, maybe you're at one of our other campuses, Nutley, New Brunswick. Can everyone here give everyone out there a big round of applause? Give it a little shout out. So good to be together. Well, today is the final installment of our summer series called Crossroads. And this has been a series where we've been examining what to do when we are faced with these crossroad moments in life when we have to make a a big decision, something like a fork in the road. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim had actually introduced us to some Old Testament characters talking about Abraham and his nephew Lot. And we saw how sometimes choosing you know, what is obvious to us, what makes sense to us, isn't always the best thing when it comes to God's perspective. As a matter of fact, sometimes good can actually be the enemy of God. And, you know, last week we also saw that, you know, we were continuing continuing along this journey and we saw how crossroads can actually sometimes be used by God to draw us closer to himself as well as shape our own character the way that it did with Abraham and his son Isaac. So today what we're going to do is we're going to continue along that path in the Old Testament. We're going to stay with those characters, Abraham and Isaac, as well as I want to introduce you to a young lady. Her name is Rebecca. But before we even go there, more importantly, I want to talk to those of us right now who sometimes find life and even God confusing. Okay. In other words, I want to talk to you if you sometimes find life frustrating or disappointing because you don't always know what exactly to do or when to do it or how to do things. If that's you, this message is for you. In other words, this message is not, okay, it is not for those of you who find life easy, okay? If you wake up in the morning and you always have a pep in your step, okay, If you're always singing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? No, no. This message is not for you. You can go home then, okay? In other words, if, if, please, uh, if this, if, if you go through life, okay, and the biggest, most complicated problems in life for you are as easy to tackle as, you know, oh, gee, what color socks should I wear today? Then this message is not for you. If you are someone who wakes up every morning and God asks you, what is your will for me? How can I best glorify? you, this message and this church may not be for you, okay? No, no, no. You see, this message, this particular message is for those of us who could use some help from the big guy, okay? This message is for those of us who want to know what the will of God, what is your plan, God, for my life, especially when the decisions and the choices are not 
clear. In fact, I love the way our friend, Pastor Erwin McManus, captures the tension of not knowing exactly where to turn and what to do in those dense, jungle-like moments of life. So there you are with the choice right in front of you. But it was different than what they taught you in freshman lit or philosophy 101. There was no fork in the road and no clear path. There was just a jungle, a maze of endless possibilities. What do you do then? How do you choose? How do you choose not only between, well, good and evil, but between the better and the best, between the good and the great? How do you know which path to choose, which future you should create? The amazing thing about being a human being is that you've been given the power to choose. Life is a series of choices. It is a creative act. The choices we make today, they create the world we live in tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure it is not God's will for me to jump off of a waterfall, okay? I don't do well with water, as many of you keep reminding me, all right? Nonetheless, all right, settle down, settle down, because I do actually appreciate that particular video because it acknowledges, you know, it sort of tips the cap a little bit because sometimes our crossroads in life aren't as clear-cut as a four-way intersection. In fact, sometimes we go through life and a four-way intersection of decisions would actually be considered a luxury, compared to the reality of how messy life can be. I see some of you nodding your heads. You know, I got an email this past week from a friend of mine who said this, Pastor Tom, I have no idea what to do. Here I am back in the hospital with my dad facing this impossible hospice decision and neither of my two brothers and sisters can agree on anything. Meanwhile, dad is slipping away in pain. And mom, she is an absolute wreck. My friend continued and said, did I mention we have no sweet clue how to pay for any of this? Oh, and by the way, the oldest just went to college. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? What does God want from me? Why won't he just throw me a bone? Prayers, please. Folks, have you ever been in this place? Have you ever wondered, what is God's will for me? What is your plan, Lord? I mean, just tell me, am I supposed to stay at my job and just sort of suck it in, or do I jump at this new opportunity? Am I supposed to take my mother in now that she's of that age and she's elderly and she's cared for me all her life? Is the Christian thing to do to, to take her in or is the more responsible thing to do provide her care and send her into a retirement home? God, I just, I just I don't know what to do with this decision. Am I supposed to stick it through and persevere or am I supposed to move on and go the other way? And of course, right? One of the all-time classic great questions. Sweet Jesus, am I supposed to marry this person or not? 
right? If only God's will was simple and clear. Well, you know, as I shared earlier, we're going to jump into an Old Testament scene where God reveals his will in a story of how Isaac, this is Abraham's son, his miracle son, met his wife, Rebecca. So would you do me a favor? Would you turn in your Bible to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 24? It's found there on page 16 in your Bibles. And as you turn there, let me just say that this is more than just a romantic story about how God brings two people together. As a matter of fact, this This is a story that also provides three key principles about how we can know the will of God, how we can know God's plan for your life in any situation. I'm not just talking about a romantic one. I'm not just talking about a relational one. So I am so excited to jump into this text. Look with me, chapter 24, verse 1. Here we go. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Verse 2. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. That's a little bit awkward. (laughs) Verse 3. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. In other words, don't get a wife for for my son, my precious, faithful, miracle son among these people. Instead, verse 4, go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac, did you know that Abraham was from the south? Just, oh, relax. I know we have some southern people here. Relax. I'm from the south as well, South Korea. But anyways... Seriously, I, I get it. Some of you are actually, you're stuck. You're stuck on this passage because you're like, there's certain things. It's like, what is this hand under my thigh business? But simply put, okay, we need to remember that this was a miraculous story that Abraham, his journey was such a miraculous one, one of faith, right? And, and we need to remember how God had promised Abraham, even though he was 100 years old, had promised Abraham and his 90 plus year old wife that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars and the sands of this. Uh, the shore and he and his wife would actually Sarah they would actually have their son when they were well into the age past giving birth and all that stuff so when Abraham says to his servant put your hand under my thigh and take this oath you and I need to understand that back in those days this served as such an important momentous symbol See, by placing his hand under the thigh of Abraham, in other words, in the vicinity of his reproductive organ, the servant was saying this, I swear upon something that obviously God has blessed, something that God has used. I swear, I take an oath upon what is sacred that I will do my best to absolutely make sure that the blessing of Abraham continues and that God's promises come into fruition. I'm going to do my best. He was taking an oath. And you know something? We actually sort of do the same thing today. For instance, you and I, we take an oath in court, right? And and when we take an oath in court, when we solemnly swear, what is it that you and I put our hands on? What is it? 
the Bible. Exactly. It's something sacred. Before everyone, we put our hand up and we swear. We solemnly swear. We make an oath on what is sacred. Now, I get it. Everyone here would rather do this than the whole thigh thing. I don't blame you, okay? I don't blame you. But verse 9 says this. Watch this. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and taking with him all kinds of good things from his master, he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. Verse 11. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. In other words, Abraham's servant accepts the challenge and off he goes to play matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. The only problem is, where do you start? I mean, how do you start something like this? Uh, Whether you're married or not, everyone knows. If you're married, you remember to the single days. Everyone here knows that the world of relationships, (laughs) when it comes to singles especially, can be a jungle. Amen? If you're single, ready to mingle, I need you to hear say amen, all right? Okay, we got some single people here. Everyone taking note, okay? All right? But watch this. The next verse provides us with such great hope. Check this out. Verse 12. Then he, what? Let's read this together. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. So the number one principle, the very first rule for knowing the will of God. I see some of you about to take notes. That's a good thing. The number one uh, the principle, if you want to know the will of God, number one, you must look for it. You must look for it. This isn't rocket science. I never said that it would be. But you must look for the will of God. And you look for it by searching the word of God. Now understand this, at the time of this story, Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, the servant, they didn't have the Bible as you and I have it today. They didn't have that. But the biblical principles and biblical truths did exist and they were passed down from generation to generation verbally. That's how they were passed. And so in this particular situation, God's word actually came to the servant of Abraham through Abraham, this man of God. In fact, if you were to look back at this one verse, Abraham says this to his servant. Check it out. In verse 7, he says this, The Lord, the God of heaven, spoke to me. God spoke to me. God spoke to me, and he promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. So you see, God spoke to Abraham Abraham spoke to his servant. And today, the way that God speaks to us is through his word. Right here, you're holding it in your hand. He actually speaks to us through his word. The way that we know that something is true is by actually seeing what does the scripture say about it. In fact, later on in the New Testament, the apostle Paul says to his young protege, he says to Timothy, he says this, some scripture, no, no, no. He says, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, the word of God 
is good for anything and everything you come across in life. Earlier in the Psalms, it says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. In other words, everything we need to know about God, everything you and I need to know about God is found in these pages. And you need to know this, God never leads in a way that contradicts this right here in your hands. He never leads in a way that's contradictory to his word. Now, I understand for some of you, this is very obvious. You're like, I've been going to church my whole life. I get that. But you would be surprised how many people go through life and life's biggest decisions just sort of waiting for like this mystical, mysterious sort of inspiration. Or even just let's put it even more plainly here. Let's just be honest here. We live in a culture. We live in a society that says when you face a hard decision and you need to come up with a decision, you need to make a choice real soon, real fast, we sort of throw out these platitudes and we say things like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just trust your instincts or go with your what? Gut. Exactly, exactly. Now, I want to know, since when did that become the go-to organ? When did that become the mascot of all that is wise and discerning, okay? Because I don't know about you, but my gut, okay, don't look at my gut. My gut has no problem lying to me every single day. You see, my gut looks at things like that, okay? Do you know what that is? That is a slice of white chocolate, caramel, macadamia nut, slice of heaven from the Cheesecake Factory, okay? My gut will look at something like that, and it will say to me with a straight face every time, you need that. You know, last week after church, we had some friends over for dinner, and um, we had a great old time. And one of these buddies, uh, he, he actually serves as a roadie. Can we, actually, can we thank the roadies right now? Let's give them a big old round of, we would not have church today were it not for the roadies, okay? And, and so one of these roadies comes, and he, and he brings his wife, and, and these guys are foodies, all right? They love eating food, they love making food, all that stuff. And uh, he brought over this homemade, he and his wife, creme brulee okay homemade dessert and then to top it on all off he also brought my favorite i have a weak spot for this red velvet cake okay homemade and now i'm looking at that all right and i am like so happy you know i'm just like it's long day serving to get all this stuff and now we got some dessert i'm looking at this and i'm just like oh my goodness if i have the creme brulee and the cake that's about 2,500 extra calories, right? I'm just, I'm thinking in my mind, there's no way that I should, but what is my, what is my gut saying? Come to Papa, come to Papa, right? That's, that's what's happening. And mind you, this is all after a full course dinner. I mean, come on, people. We cannot trust our gut, amen? 
We cannot even trust our emotions. They're too unpredictable. No, to know the will of God, we need to go to the word of God. Amen? Amen. To know the will of God, to look for the will of God, we need to look inside of the word. But secondly, in your notes, we can also look for the will of God by praying. How do you know the will of God? You simply ask. You see, a big part of praying is actually asking. Just ask. In the New Testament, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should he do? He should ask God. He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. There's an old Jewish proverb that I love, and it simply says this. It is better to ask the way 10 times than to take the wrong road once. So my question is this. Do you want to know the will of God? Do you want to know his plan for your life? Well, you start by looking in the word and by asking through prayer. And you know something? That's exactly what Abraham's servant did. He heard the word of God through his master Abraham, this godly man. He loaded up the camels and then he prayed. More specifically, when he got to a spring where women were drawing water, he, he, he was like this. This was his prayer to God. He's like, God, I need you. I, I don't trust myself. I don't trust my instincts, my gut, my emotions. I need you to point out the one for me that Isaac is supposed to marry. And here's the deal. Uh, may it be the one who not only offers me water, but also these camels that I'm bringing along as well. And so check this out. Watch what happens next, verse 15. Before he had finished praying, <laughs> Before he had said amen, in other words, right? Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. And let me tell you about this, Rebecca, all right? Verse 16, this girl was very beautiful. A virgin, no man had laden with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said. And quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. Say, what? What? Maybe this doesn't hit us, but you need to understand that the average camel holds about 20 gallons of water. How many camels does it say this servant brought? Ten. It says ten camels in verse ten. I'll let you guys do the math, but you need to understand this was not an easy task. This was like roadie type material right here, okay? Verse, uh, we're going to move on here to verse 20. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels now watch this skip with me to verse 26 then the man bowed down and worshiped the lord saying praise be to the lord the god of my master abraham who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master as for me the lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives the matchmaker has found a match he received the lord's instruction through the word of god that came through abraham he prayed and then God delivered Rebecca, who, by the way, was a beautiful young lady with an obvious heart of gold, and apparently she had Herculean-type muscles, okay? 
200 gallons of water. That's incredible. Seriously, though, this was clearly the work and will of God. Because when we, when we see happening next is this. Uh, Rebecca invites this servant into her house, okay, to explain everything to the family. Because this doesn't happen that often, right? You got a lot of explaining to do. But here's the deal. The protective dad, the protective brother, they, they were like, no, no, whoa, whoa. This is a God thing. They recognized immediately that God was at work. Check this out in verse 50. Laban, that's Rebecca's brother, and Bethuel, that's her father, answered, this is from the Lord. This is God's will. This is God's plan. This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's servant as the Lord has directed. Verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Again, I love this spontaneous worship. Verse 53, then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. Now, before you start thinking, oh, this is ho-hum, hunky-dory, it's always like this in the Bible land, it's always more fairy tale than it is my own life, it never mirrors my own life, I want you to notice the drama that is about to unfold in the very next sentence. Check this out. When they got up the next morning, (laughs) folks, we're talking about the next morning. In other words, the night before, everyone was all on the same page. Oh, they're like, yeah, this is totally the will of God. Take her, take her, go. Far be it from us to get in the the way of God. No, no, go, go, go. This is God's will. This is God's plan. Please go, go, go. The next morning, The servant got up, and he said, send me on my way to my master. Verse 55, but, but, but her brother and her mother replied, whoa, 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 what's what's the rush? Take it easy. Don't, don't be, come on now. Why are you so serious? Just. Chill out. Let, let the girl remain with us, you know, for like a week, 10 days or so. Who's really counting? Then, then you can go. <laughs> you see what's happening here? Folks, we've come to our second point in this message. See, whenever, whenever you're considering the will of God, if you're taking notes, you must, number two, act. You must act on what God has already revealed. See, folks, the servant of God knew what God had already revealed. Rebecca knew what God had already revealed. Rebecca's brother and her father knew. Rebecca's whole family, everyone knew what God had revealed. But at the very last moment, when it came time to do something, no action. At the very last second, even though everyone knew what to do, what had to happen next, a crossroad appeared. You know something? I'll be honest. This happens in my life all the time. I mean, I know what God wants me to do. I know it. There's no denying it. I know what the right thing to do is. 
There's no question of what God has revealed. But in my mind, when I hesitate, that's when I start to rationalize, compromise, hypothesize. I do all those things that delay the action and I find myself not doing what God has clearly asked me to do. I love the way longtime pastor Charles Stanley put it. He said it this way, God doesn't reveal his will for our contemplation. He reveals it for our participation. See, folks, you need to understand this. When it comes to the will of God, it's not that God doesn't want to speak to you. It's that we rarely want to listen, or more specifically, we are rarely willing to do. And you know something? Honestly, for me, when it comes to the will of God, this right here, point number two, is the hardest part. I'm just being totally honest with you. It is the hardest part for me. When it comes to the topic of the will of God, it's not the discerning part that is confusing to me. It's not the discerning part that is troublesome for me. It's the doing part, to actually do it once he's revealed it. You know, about a month ago, I was invited to this uh, function where I knew an old colleague of mine who I hadn't seen in years would be at. And, and, and just to, just to make, the, make you understand this story here, you need to understand that uh, I haven't seen him for years. And the last time I did see him, to be completely honest, there was some static between us. And if I can be even more transparent, more honest, the reason why there was static between me and this person was all because of me. It was my own insecurities. It was my own immaturity. It was my own stupidity. In fact, he would say and do things and, and immediately, whatever he said or did, okay, I would immediately, in my grid of emotions and thought, I would immediately interpret it as a personal attack towards me. He didn't intend it that way. I'm telling you how I interpret it for whatever reason. And so he would say something and I would immediately, I would coil back in my heart. On the outside, I was like, hey, everybody. But on the inside, I was like, I was coiling back. I was getting defensive. I was like ready to strike. He, he would say something. I would roll my eyes. I would get defensive. He, he would come up with an idea and I'd be the first one to shoot it down, especially if it was a good idea. I am not proud of this. Okay. I am just being honest with you. That, I, I'm embarrassed of my actions. I was immature. I was stupid. It was wrong of me. So I did what any Christ-believing, Jesus-loving person would do. I ignored it. <laughs> and slowly, over the years, without even me realizing it, that thing would just eat at my heart. It was taking bites out of my soul like a cancer. It was just eating away at me to the point where if this person's name was ever so much as mentioned tangentially in some sort of off comment by someone else, I would just like, get so mad. If I saw this person's uh, profile picture pop up on Facebook for something, I was like, oh, gosh, I can't stand it. <laughs> some of you think that way about me, but anyways. <laughs> That's how it was. That's how it was. And so needless to say, I was not exactly excited 
about going to this function because I knew I would bump into this guy. But you know something? This is what happened, right? In the back of my mind, all these verses, all these verses started popping up in my heart about forgiveness, about bitterness, about apologizing, about all this stuff. It just kept on popping in my heart. And this one verse in particular, Romans 12, 18, oh, I hate this verse, but I love this verse. Romans 12, 18 says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Kept coming up in my heart and in my mind. Just like, oh, get out of my head. But bottom line, once the event ended, I had a true come to Jesus moment with this friend of mine. I pulled him aside. I was like, dude, I, I got I to gotta share something with you. I know we haven't seen each other for all these years, but man, I've just been, it's not your fault. It's like my own stupid, I've just been harboring this bitterness towards you and this hatred, and I'm, I'm just so upset with myself, and I just, I want to come clean, dude. I don't want to have that anymore. I just needed to tell you this. And I tell you what, it wasn't more than 15 minutes before he started sharing with me his own side of the story. And you know, if you were a fly on the wall, a couple minutes later, what you would have seen is two full-grown men just wiping their eyes and hugging each other. It was like a bad rerun of Oprah, okay? But I share that with you because I need to ask, folks, are you willing to act on what God has already revealed to you? Or... Do you want to just continue to hem and haw and run the risk of actually missing out on God's blessing? You know, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, okay? But I sort of get these questions all the time, whether it's an email, someone stopping me, and they'll ask me questions like, you know, what do you think I should do? Pastor Tom, what is God's will? What does he want? What is his plan? Do you think I should do this? And I'll be honest, many of these are great questions. And that's one of the things that I love about being a pastor is, is getting to do life together. I love that. But every so often, I get someone who asks me a question about a possible step number 7,864 when they've not even taken step number two yet. You understand what I'm saying? I think Mark Twain said it best when he said this, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. See, you and I need to know there are plenty of verses in the Bible that lay out God's will in a very clear and simple way in black and white. As a matter of fact, I put a couple of those in your notes right there. Very clear and simple. But I will still get questions like, oh, yeah, you know, um, Pastor Tom, I uh, just want to shoot straight with you. Yeah, my, my girlfriend and I were kind of sleeping together, but, but we're going to get married. We're going to get married. I mean, you know, we're, we're just living together right now because it's cost effective, you know. But I know it's God's will for us to get married. I mean, it is God's will for us to get married, isn't it? No, 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 no. Hold on there, Kimosabi, okay? You, you are not, I am not going to let you put me into that corner because you know what? Honestly, I don't know. 
I don't know if it's God's will for you to get married or not. And I'm not going to pretend to know. But according to his word, I do know this. It is God's will for you to avoid sexual immorality. That I can say for sure. I mean, it's right there in your notes, isn't it? That's one of the verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this. It is God's will in plain English. Pastor Tom, what is God's will? It is God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Folks, there are verses like this that plainly say it is God's will throughout the word of God. See, when it comes to God's will, you and I need to remember, he has already given us so much to work with. And you and I, we do ourselves a huge favor when we just begin on acting on what he has already revealed, on doing what he has already revealed. And then maybe after we take step number two, he'll show us three, four, five, and that which leads to 780. Six. Amen? Amen. I know this is very convicting. It's too convicting to me, too. I don't even want to preach it. But anyways, see, we need to learn, actually, from the servant of Abraham. Watch how he handles the potential derailing of all that God has accomplished and revealed to him by doing simply what God told him to do. Verse 56. But he said, this is the servant, he said to them, don't detain me. No, no, no. Don't stop me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. In other words, let me do what we all know I'm supposed to do. But then they said, let the girl, uh, let, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So the servant took Rebecca and left. I love that. No rationalizing, no compromising, no wishy-washy hemming and hawing, no paralysis by overanalysis, okay? This man looked for the will of God. This man received the will of God through his word and through prayer. God revealed his will to the servant and Rebecca, and now they are both acting on it, period. Which leads us to our third and final point about knowing God's will, and that is point number three. If it's truly the will of God, God will confirm it. See, what God starts, he completes. What God commits to, he confirms. And we see this clearly as our love story comes to an end. Look with me here at verse 63. Isaac went out into the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel, and verse 65 says, and she asked the servant, who is that stud muffin in the field coming to meet us? It's in the Hebrew, I promise, okay? He, <laughs> he is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. She probably had a big old smile. Can't you just see that? Verse 66, then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Verse 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca, just like God said he would. He married Rebecca, so he became his wife, and he loved her. What God starts, he completes. What he plans, he blesses. What God commits to, God 
confirms. I love the way Pastor Greg Laurie put it. He said it this way. When you trust God's will for your life, he will reward you by confirming it in a blessed way. See, folks, you and I, we need to remember. Remember this. Please remember. If you forget everything else, just remember this. God actually wants to speak to us more than we are often willing to listen and more importantly, do. So when God says something for your life, when he plans something, and when he reveals it, he will confirm it because that's his glory. That's, his, that's what brings him the most glory. He will confirm it over and over and over again. He is a good and faithful God that way. So now, folks, here's the deal. I don't know what kind of crossroads you're facing in life right now. Some of you have been gracious, and you've kind of shared with that uh, over the past series. But here's the deal. I don't know what specific one you brought into this room today. But here's what I do know about every single person here. I know this about every single person listening to the message. And that is this. The decisions in your life are a lot like driving. In other words, when we drive, most of the time it's straight. But it's the turns in life that determine where we wind up. So regardless of what crossroads you're facing today or what crossroads you will face tomorrow, how you handle the turns... How you handle the turns in life. How you handle what God has already revealed to you determines where you wind up. And so here's my invitation to every single person here. I want everyone here, you've got a pen right there. Would you go ahead and click your pen? Go ahead and click your pen. And on your way in this morning, you were probably handed a piece of paper. It says crossroads on the front. It's blank on the back. Maybe you were handed a blank sheet of paper. That's okay. What I want you to do right now, this moment, is don't think too hard, but I want you to write down a crossroad that you are facing right now. Maybe you're not facing one. You're going to face one tomorrow. That I can guarantee. If you're not facing one right now, write down one that someone you love is facing right now. Go ahead. On the back, of, don't think too hard. Don't filter. You were probably thinking of a crossroad decision throughout some point in this message. Just write that one down, okay? And in a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for the crossroad, and then I'm going to invite you to come on up, all right? You've written your crossroad down. I'm going to invite you to come on up, and you're going to fold that crossroad right here like this, and you're going to come up to a cross, and what you're going to do is you're just simply going to nail it to the cross, so to speak. You're going to pin it to the cross right there. What this is is a symbol. You're going to nail your crossroad on the cross as a prayer, and maybe your prayer today is, God, I need wisdom. I'm facing this crossroad decision. I see this coming, this intersection coming, and I need wisdom. I need discernment. What is your will for me? Maybe for some of you, it's more faith or more courage because you already know. Let's just be honest. You already know what God demands from you, what he has for you, but you've not taken that step yet. So maybe for you, it's a prayer of courage. Whatever it is, this is between you and God. No one else is gonna look at it. I want you to identify that crossroad fold up that piece of paper and bring it to the cross and then just leave it there because I want to remind everyone here that at every crossroad in life, you can find the cross. You can look to Jesus. At every crossroads, there is a cross. 
And there is no better revelation than the cross that Jesus Christ hung himself on for our life. See, here's the deal. After you hang, and after you leave your crossroad at the cross, what you're going to do is we're going to invite you to receive his body broken for us, his blood shed for us at the communion table, because that really is what communion is about. It's an opportunity for the believer, for the Christ follower to say, you know what, I believe, I remember, I believe in what God has already revealed. And there is no better revelation than the revelation of Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for me, that his blood was shed for me, so that I could have new life. And so that I could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at every crossroads decision in my life, the cross is there, Christ is there, and I need to turn to him. So are you guys ready? Are you guys ready to leave your crossroad at the cross and then receive communion? Say amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and I I don't want to pretend to know what these crossroads are in my friends' lives, but I do know that we all face them. And if we're not facing one today, we will face one tomorrow. So I just pray right now that at these crossroad moments, you would help us to identify it and that you would help us to leave it at the cross. And as we leave it at the cross, would you fill us with courage if we need to step out and do the thing that you've already revealed? Or would you fill us with wisdom and discernment because we don't know what your will is, God, but we do know we want to leave it at the cross. We want to leave it with you. And as we do that, we want to receive the body and blood of Jesus. We want to remember the greatest revelation you have for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.